0: the exhaust notes podcast what is good welcome back to the exhaust notes podcast my name is nick ingvall i'm with my guys rowett and todd to talk some formula one this has been like the craziest week of news and not even just liveries and nonsense but just a lot of things going on a lot of stuff to talk about so how you guys doing welcome to the show what's good
1: I'm doing great, Nick, and it's exactly like you said. We have certain weeks where it's a lot of soft soft news, like liveries, um, you know, sponsorship deals, but then we get this sort of week where it's all hard news, and Todd and I were chatting, and you were also kind of there in terms of, is this an overcompensation of how last year ended, and is this Formula One's attempt to get back some of the viewers that they may have lost based on how things went down last year, but we'll get to that. Todd, how are you?
2: Fantastic. Ready to talk you know race cars and such yeah uh it it is
0: definitely a possibility i think i think that would be like the the perfect precursor for the episode because there seems to be a lot of let's just say reactionary changes and reactionary actions from the the lingering thought of oh my god what happened You know, like on the last race of last year.
1: No, it's exactly that, because as a wrestling fan, there is an internal debate that a lot of us go into where how do we view wrestling? Do we view it as a sport in the sense that it's athletes competing against one another? Or do we view it as Vince McMahon would like us to view it, which is sports entertainment, having a predefined result that. You don't really care how we get to the result. It's much like Formula One and any sort of good road trip. It's all about the journey. So I think Michael Massey last year tried to do his best Vince McMahon impression coming off the Montreal screw job. And this is me getting really inside baseball, or inside wrestling. But I am really interested to see where we are because this seems to be as much of an inflection point for Formula One because of the fact that you have, dare I say, a third of the viewers this year are going to be brand new. And a lot of them have been viewers or have, been, have become fans, rather, off the back of Netflix and catching the occasional race. This will be their first season where they're going to follow it end to end. And I wonder how many of them are going to appreciate the actual science behind it. Because I think last year was more of a year where we got to appreciate the artistry, especially when it came to some of the results that we ab- obtained at the end of the season.
2: Totally. Keeping the wrestling theme, I think the new FIA president is definitely a heel.
1: Oh, OK. Talk to us. What, it, what exactly makes him a heel to you?
2: Oh, man. He came in right after the, the Abu Dhabi results. And when Mercedes was doing their protest, as they should have based on the race results, uh, he almost like dismissed it and was like, I'm you know, I'm here. I'm laying down the law. It was it was just yeah, just came in, kicked the door open, big thing, swinging kind of attitude. So I feel like he's he's definitely playing the heel card right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, he's walking in like Connor McGregor, Vince McMahon, with like no chance in hell blaring <laughs> in his internal stereo system. Yes, sir. And yeah, it's one of those things. Before we go a little bit further down, because I think this is going to be the bulk of our journey for this episode, I wanted to say that you know, in some of the other podcasts that we do, we like to read out reviews. But for me, I actually got it first. One of the listeners from our other podcast, the Sneaker History Podcast, reach out to me via Instagram. Just let us know how he's been an admirer of all things fast and all things speed. And because of this podcast, he's going into the formula one season and he's already one up me because he got that formula one TV subscription. So Miggy has it. Thank you so much, Miggy for your support on both of our podcasts. And I will be using your DM as a plagiarized review for iTunes, which is also a reminder for our five or 10 listeners. Please leave us a review if you haven't already, because we need that valuable iTunes money and that iTunes visibility.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, thanks, yeah, Maggie. We're we're sitting at nine right now. So hopefully by next episode we got ten. We got a couple to read. Yeah, I'm,
1: it'll be Miggy's review that'll carry us to the yeah, ten. Exactly.
0: <laughs> thanks, Miggy.
2: So you guys think we should start off with deliveries? We got uh, another four this week.
1: Tradition is tradition. Okay, hold on. Break us off some of that. Yes. Livery. Yeah. Go yes. Ahead,
2: but
0: I have to ask because Rowett slipped in a, a pretty hot take there in that intro, and I don't know if you noticed, but. A third of viewers as new viewers. Oh, yeah.
1: So, <laughs> gloss over, over under a third a of, of viewers being new viewers for this one. season.
0: I mean, it's a bold prediction.
1: No, but I mean like there's there's no way to accurately do it. So I'm embracing my inner Stephen A. Smith because I realize ultimately hype and hot takes get us viewers and we're still in the infancy of this podcast. So I am all about making these bold proclamations, especially if it results in pie in my face because then that means the listeners can make fun of me. And the more listeners we have, the less I care about me having pie on my face. So yeah, we have a third new viewers. We're going to get that third Red Bull team. Five dudes are going off the grid next year. What else? Any hot takes you need from me, you let me know. Your boy's ready.
2: So by that math, so the Abu Dhabi series finale last year was 108.7 million viewers. Oof. You're thinking there's going to be 30 million new fans.
1: So my preface was, I think, 33 new full-time fans. Like 108, 108 million, right? That was the viewership. That was Abu Dhabi's
2: viewership numbers. Yeah. Right.
1: And obviously, unless you have that top secret information around, okay, yeah, we can scientifically accurately predict that of that 108, 15 were, this was their first race that they were viewing, or this was within that one to 10 race range. I think this is a year where we see a big conversion of full time race watchers. But you I can, can already hear me backpedaling. So there you go. <laughs> no, see, no, I'm no. no I can. Th- That's reasonable, though. I feel like you're backing it up pretty yeah. strongly. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, look. Hike me up, guys!
0: I need this. We have, you know, what a, a couple dozen people that have listened to this podcast, and we have probably four or five people that have messaged us and said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to pay attention now." Which, if that scales, you know, uh, and we get to 1.08 million listeners by the end of the year, <laughs> of course, it's 30 million.
1: Like no brainer. <laughs> if, if we get 108 million listeners. I will get a full Formula One theme tattoo, and I don't like <laughs> tattoos, but I will get a full sleeve if we get that upper echelon of listenership.
0: Well, that's the motivation from now on. We just need we just need people to understand the value of listening to this podcast. Ro- will get. Let
1: me be Cyril Bidu <laughs> and let our listeners be the honey badger that we always reference. Get that podium, listeners!
2: <laughs> if we get 108 million, yeah, if we're all, we're all getting matching tattoos, I'll get. <laughs> Yeah, I'll get a full Bernie Eccleston on my back, just of <laughs> him yeah. giving – like Steve-O giving the thumbs up. I'll get Bernie Eccleston doing the same thing, and he's and, not an attractive yeah. man.
1: And then next season when we're all single again, it's going to be an even greater <laughs> adventure for all of us. Anyways, Nick, please rein us in because we're about to go crazy this episode because I have a feeling that hot takes are going to be hot and heavy. I mean, I think
0: t- Todd was on the on the pace, so like – Todd, you could you could start us off with liveries because we got four of them to get through, right?
2: Yeah, there's four new ones, so let's start with Alpha Tauri. I'm gonna, I'll save from mine for last. What do you guys think?
1: Was it Utah that played the Uno reverse card?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's all I, I need to say about it. Like, I always like this white and navy concoction that Alpha Tauri does. And I think it's decent enough branding that you know they're in the Red Bull extended universe, but they are kind of their own thing. So, that being said, we've waxed poetic about their two drivers and how they're both exciting. So, I hope that the natural trajectory for that team is resulting in both of them getting podiums, meaning we'll see more of this uh, livery. And I don't think it's that bad. I think for now, it's probably in the top five. How many liveries have we gotten in total? Eight or seven? Uh, well, Red Bull is fake. So, oh,
2: that's you- true. I mean, Red Bull delivery was real, but the car was yeah. fake. So I, we've seen uh, eight, right? Yeah. Eight. Eight, so, because we're still waiting on Alfa Romeo Alpine. and Alpine. Yeah. But you think top five?
1: As of right now. Okay. Because. I'm like I said, I have to get familiar with some of the other ones I may have dropped off. Like I'm excited to see how Williams livery looks. Cause I just got the initial glance on it and I don't have an opinion. So as I'm stalling for time, I'm also typing Williams livery in my Google to see if I can come up with any sort of opinion. All and right. yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Nick, I mean, I think, think the AlphaTauri
0: is, I think it's great, but mm-hmm. I feel the same way towards it as I do towards the Red Bull where it's like, all right, this, it's not like it's not like old in any way. I just feel like I expected it to be about like this. There's like there's little things that are different from last year, but it's not It's there's no wow factor to it. It's like cool, AlphaTauri's back. Cool, Red Bull's back. That's how I feel about both of those.
2: Okay, fair. Uh back to the Uno reverse card. I saw saw that posted by WTF1. They are Hilarious, uh, so check them out definitely if you want to. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the Alphatari. I would actually say it's a step back from last year. Ooh. And I'm going to say for one specific reason,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they're missing the off-colored logo. So this is – Nick went into this deep on the last podcast. I think the red Honda lo- – powered by Honda logo on the side of the car with the white wheels and the matte navy and white car of last year was – head and shoulders above this car it's got the hrc logo on the back which i like but that off color red pop it was the only off color logo last year and it was perfection um i liked the the matte navy with the white wheels last year and this was just this one's it's not bad uh i have some qualms about like the curved alpha tori up the side pod i think that's a little weird i think they could have kept it straight uh but i don't know probably like a 6.9 6.9 out of 10. All right. I th-
0: I, I do agree, though. Like nice. the, the red, the nice. red is <laughs> the, the red is uh, is definitely like s- some sort of flavor. Right. Like the two X's on the flex box just don't cut it on the front, you know, winglet. Like that's the only other color on the car, uh-huh. which is kind of. Yeah. But.
2: I don't know. Okay, so across the board, kind of a meh reception. Yeah.
0: Like, it's a beautiful car. What? It's what you would expect from a bazillion-dollar Formula One team, but, like, it's also not creative in any way. There's nothing that's like, oh, that's cool. How come nobody else did that? You know? Yeah.
1: Okay, let's
2: move it on to Williams.
1: So, Williams... uh To me, if we have some NHL listeners, it kind of reminds me of the Seattle Kraken color scheme where we've got the light blue lettering followed by a dark blue background. But it also looks like the greatest Pepsi can that never was. And as a Coca-Cola guy, I on principle alone hate it. So keep on sucking, Williams.
0: (laughs) Nick, any thoughts? (laughs) I don't know how to follow that up, to be honest.
1: You shouldn't. You should just, just be professional, Nick. Let the jester play.
0: I mean, I don't know. It's it, it like it's it's fine, it's better than last year's car, I think. But again, like I just don't feel like I've been wowed and I expected to because of the drastic changes in the car itself. If that makes sense. Like I expected the yeah. people I expected the, the color designers to like lean into the new car in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I feel like everything is basically kind of just like, cool, like, you know, we're back again.
2: Okay, fair. I I have mixed feelings on it. I like the design they did. Kind of going back to Rohit's point with the multiple shades of blue. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a Seattle Kraken vibe at all because they don't have like the Mariner green in there. But that's um, the I like the diamond shapes on the back and the weird different gradients of blue on it, but it's just a blue car. There's like – like to Nick's point, like the new cars are so radically, radically shaped different that they could have done so much. Like throw on a random pop in one of those diamonds of different color.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Mercedes does a pretty good job of throwing random pops of color to make the their livery stand out. Uh, like the red star for Nikki last year. Um that I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of blah. I would actually say it's worse than the Alpha tauri but not much. Maybe mid-sixes. I, I mean it's so I have to say, like
0: back when I had, you know, dreams of being a race team years and years and years ago in Honda Challenge and all those things. Uh we actually mocked up Like a truck and trailer and a crx to like you know like kind of pitch the idea to people right it's like hey this is what we want to do we want to go racing and we almost used a very similar like color palette and like split the car up like the the top down view of this car reminds me of those things that we mocked up because we kind of went with like this like three three colors across everything like this almost like tri-color but like know just like basically royal blue white and black were the colors we wanted to go with and i i say all that to like say like they came pretty close with the colors but i just feel like they just missed the mark somehow and the only view that i like really kind of like is the top down view because it, it it actually like looks like the car is broken up into three separate colors but I'm not a fan of the, the like diamond and I'm not a fan of like the crisscross behind the behind the driver either. It just feels like it feels like you could have just done something better there, you know.
1: I don't know. I also get kind of Toro Rosso vibes from it. Bame because I was watching season one of Drive to Survive Again in anticipation of today's episode, but I was like, this just feels like an update of that and Toro Rosso used to be the team that we now know as AlphaTauri, so it's a no for me, dog.
2: I wish they still were sponsored by Martini and Rossi. Yep. Because like the Martini and Rossi Williams from, what is that, 2017, I think, before they went toothpaste, um, was so good. It was. I mean, I know it was a terrible car, but it was such a good looking car. So we need more iconic style liveries like that.
1: So if I can use that as a segue... Can we use this as a jumping-off point to talk about arguably my favorite livery of the year, which is the new Ferrari F175? Because, my goodness, like, they understood the assignment. The red is popping. There's none of that gradient BS. It is a classically Ferrari car in the best way imaginable. And I know there's a little bit of internet vitriol based on the fi- uh, the black numbering of the 55 and I think the 16 of Charles Leclerc, but I think it's great. But what are you guys feeling about the Ferrari livery?
0: I mean, I think I would I would look at that livery and think, oh, they got it right. That means the drivers are going to feel good and perform well. Like I might want to backtrack on some of my predictions just because of how I'm
1: convinced they listen to our podcast. (laughs) Like we need to update the livery to make sure that the predictions that the boys at exhaust notes have made get justified because this is a championship winning car for both driver and constructor.
2: It's a 10. It's a mother and 10. I mean, I don't know if it's perfection, but it's damn near. The uh, the the giant shell logo on the side of that car is just perfectly placed, as you mentioned, Rohit. The red is just a perfect color. It seems like they're getting a little bit darker as they go on in the years. Um, they had that weird gradient last year, which didn't look good. But the that red, that shade of red, is just perfect. And then with the black wing and the uh, black front wing and rear wing, it just it's damn near perfect
1: quintessentially italian is how i describe it and i think the next point as well to borrow the old Deion sanders line you look good you feel good you feel good you play good and you play good you party good as well so i am expecting as big of a comeback season as ferrari is going to have this year because they've got the driver liner lineup set up they have their technical issues seemingly out the window and now they've got the car to boot but yeah this is top one and i'd all due respect to Alpine and Alfa Romeo, I don't think anybody is going to be unthroning this king.
0: Yeah. I would be I would be shocked if either of the last two cars comes out and I feel any more like they got it right than this. And I, I don't I don't understand like I saw some of the pushback on the on the black numbers and I don't really understand that. Like I actually think the black on that car makes it look so much better than I would have ever imagined myself. But like I mean, it's just,
2: it's, it's got everything, yeah, that, right? I mean, it's just that solid. Yeah. It, if it was solid red, like, you know, tip to tail, it wouldn't look as good. It needs that offset black, like on the floor, on the wings yeah, to make it. And I don't, I don't mind the the black numbering either. Maybe it'll be weird in night races. I don't know. We'll see, but.
1: No, I think final thing for me is the new gold standard for liveries. For me is wishing that Lego would do a constructor set of this particular colorway, and that McLaren colorway looks nice in Lego form. If they had done this for Lego, I would have bought two sets because this is just beautiful. And the more I talk about it, the more I sound like a fanboy. So I'm gonna stop talking, and we'll go from the stylistic king to probably the Formula One king. Mercedes was the last one to reveal a livery this week, right, Todd? It was it was and it was to me a rehash of
2: two years ago uh i the, my first reaction that i said in the discord was i missed the black i know they did it for a special reason um like you know good reason uh in in support of of lewis hamilton's like equal rights fight and all of that stuff um and i don't i didn't like last year's car with like the 412 amg logos all over it Um, I I, I guess, you know, they were trying something didn't work, but the the, the year before that was just such a good good livery. And I know they're called the Silver Arrows. That's been the team name from when they stopped using paint uh, as the country color representation when they used to do back in the 60s. Um, But the it's just uh, I don't know. The the colors are fine. I like the Ineos green teal, whatever you want to call it, the little stripe. Um, It is good. But yeah, it's I don't know. I do like the the, the hits of red on the airbox intake and other places. I think that looks good, but they could have, it's, like Nick said earlier, it they could have just done better. I feel like. Yeah, I feel the same way. I
0: mean, I think the like it's tough because. I think that Mercedes has the best like three primary colors of all the teams, right? Like that black silver and that like kind of like Tiffany ish blue green is it's like a beautiful combo, right? When it's done right. And I, you know, like I say that also, you know, keep in mind that like my favorite colors are orange and blue and McLaren has had those colors for, you know, however long. But like I feel like this one is. Like, I'm not a fan of the the Mercedes logos are better than the AMG logos, but like, that's just overkill to me in a lot of ways. And I feel like they just could have, I don't know, like, it's almost like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's almost like the, like the teal color, right? Could be like so much more a part of the, you know, like as opposed to just a stripe, right. Or just a, you know, Patronus logo or whatever it is. Like there's just so much room to incorporate that. And I'm, you know, I like the black too, but I also totally understand the silver nostalgia for, for Mercedes fans, obviously, you know, you probably don't want to go too far from that for very long because you're, you've basically built your entire history around it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, again, like, I feel like, I feel like I'm, you know, kind of sounding like a fanboy for the Ferrari car, but like that's the only car that really was had a wow factor to me so far. There are elements of all of them that I think were cool, but you know, this one for Mercedes, it's beautiful, but it's also just like kind of what I would expect from Mercedes.
1: I think to go back to a couple of episodes where we were coming up with those cross-sport and cross-pop culture comparisons, this to me is Mercedes embracing their San Antonio Spurs, where they know their basic color scheme, they know that they are the epitome of efficiency and execution in this sport, so... I don't think they spent that much time on it because they are probably focused on bigger and brighter things. But, yeah, I purposely don't have an opinion on this because I know how successful Mercedes is going to be in the upcoming season. So I will be sure to get a lot of exposure to this livery, much the same way a lot of our fans will, because we expect them to win almost every race, if not every race that they're going to be in. I think ask me around midseason how I feel about this and maybe based on uh, what is it, Mercedes success, I will have an answer conversely or inversely related to that but at the same time I think it's fine it's it's an also ran which is weird because no aspect of Mercedes is an also ran but I get it they want to regain their crown so let's just get this done move on to bigger and broader
2: good summarization but yeah the right. Ferrari last thing I'll say the Ferrari's I agree Nick 100% the only car that had the wow factor not only from like the delivery design and that perfect shade of red uh but the design of the side pods that look like a little baby bathtub or whatever with the louvers in there yeah. it's just exotic looking and aggressive and you know curvy and feminine at the same time it i don't know it's like it, i guess it was it's what ferrari does on the road cars so it makes sense yep.
1: right. so if you guys don't mind me asking what are your top three now that we've seen a majority of the grid? I think for all of us, I would say we have Ferrari as our number one. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess the diverging opinions may be around two and three. So Nick, who's your second and third favorite livery thus far? I mean,
0: McLaren's probably second. But I think it's more colors for me than it is the livery itself.
1: No, that's Um, fine. I mean, you like what you like. We can't force you to be otherwise.
0: And honestly, like, just about anything could be thrown in the mix at that point after. Right. Um, I mean, I'd probably go honestly with the Mercedes despite trashing it for the last five minutes. But um, (laughs) it's the, the thing that annoys me about the Mercedes is all the Mercedes logos on the back half of the car. It just, I don't know. Like there's something about like to bring, bring, bring into like a, you know, my, my streetwear sneakers world. Right. When you look at a site like Beast compared to a lot of the other sites that are out there that are news feeds of things, like this, the beauty is in the simplicity of it, right? You only need to see, you know, the Mercedes word mark and the AMG logo to know that like this is what they're about. And I feel, like, I feel like the multi, I felt this way last year too, but I feel like the multi logos is just like trying too hard you know mm-hmm. not to not to like take it so far back but like it's like rogue status you know like back when you know rogue status was selling all those t-shirts with the guns multi print all over print guns on them and stuff and it's just like yeah we don't need all that you know like we're good like we went through that era like let's not try to go back there
2: <laughs> uh fun side tangent i used to have a rogue status shift knob in one of my cars nice up down <laughs> smiley face with the yeah. the x-out yep. eyes yeah <laughs> Or I guess it was sad face. But anyway, um, yeah, I I would say Ferrari easily number one. I would at this time even put the Mercedes over the McLaren. It's starting to fade on me. Uh, obviously, we know my fandom of McLaren, but it's just that rear quarter section like the on the floor where the orange and blue swoop up. It's just it feels undone to me. Uh, maybe that alternate livery we saw in the presentation will will be better, um, but uh, yeah, I'd say one Ferrari, two Mercedes, and the only reason I'm saying that, kind of going back to Nick's point just now, there were so many AMG logos on the last car that like only thirty Mercedes like Mercedes stars on the new one feels like an improvement. Uh, and then yeah, McLaren three. I'm gonna call my shot right now and say that Alpine's gonna be in the top three for me because I'm gonna say that it's the exact same livery as last car, but that mm-hmm. back back half, the three stripes going up is just now gonna be pink. Okay. And if they keep that livery, which was beautiful last year, and they just add that pink to it, it'll be good. Yeah, I would agree. If it. if that's the case,
0: I, I I would definitely put that in the top three.
1: No, I like the Alpine mention. I think they're going to do the opposite. I think they are going to use the prompt of if there was a bang energy can in a Formula One livery, what would that look like? Because I think we're going to get that Parisian blue with that hot, hot BWT pink. For me, Ferrari, obviously, number one, because I'm basic in that sense that I just... Can't add anything else that my co-hosts haven't already articulated. I'll go Aston Martin, two. I think that's really grown on me because I do like that shade of green for whatever reason, maybe because it's not as prevalent. And then, once again, to pay homage to my two lovely co-hosts, I'll go McLaren, three. But I think Alpine might unseat that. But I'm holding on to my expectations hopefully being more like what Todd has called that and not what my own inner turmoil might be. Once I see what that livery actually looks like when it's been realized.
2: The, uh, if alpha Romeo ran that camo livery that they did at the shakedown, that's number one. Like I know they wouldn't ever because they have corporate colors and all that jazz, but that livery, if they did, anybody had the balls to pull that off on a race car, that would be number one, easy.
1: Yeah, Alfa Romeo needs to do this because what is memorable about Alfa Romeo in the last couple of years? I mean, your whole identity has been we will take on racers that are going to be great in five years or we'll take on racers that are five years removed from their best. So why not split the difference? Be memorable, especially with my 33 percent new viewers coming into the equation. Why not be you know what? Be the Formula One team from middle America that wears camo to everything like be the Walmart. team. Formula One team where it's like, hey, man, that's got Under Armour. That's got some sweet Digi camo. I love it. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great point.
2: Oh, my God. There was an award for this podcast. Not only that,
1: you've got a secondary driver from China because if we know one thing or the other, everybody loves China right now. So go for it. Like embrace the barriers that are there and demolish them to bring a new America and a new China and a new world where we all enjoy Formula One. In our Walmarts and in our DigiCamo, and it's going to be great. Make Formula One great and again, Alfa Romeo. Go for the DigiCamo. If they just took
2: that DigiCamo and put the red Alpha logo, just like they did on last last year's car, yeah. put it in red, that's – I'll buy all their team kit, I swear. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I will be in Walmart with their team kit on looking for Bang Energies.
1: Listen – Digicamo and Bang Energies, that's the new Netflix and chill, if you ask me. Like, what better way to commemorate your season four drive to survive? What's in your thermos right now? Probably Bang Energy, because that's how dedicated you are to this life, Todd Yates, and I want to thank you for that. Where were we? I mean, that's, a, that's actually kind of going back to, like,
0: previous episode, right? Like, that's why, I like, the art cars for Le Mans, for sports cars, and even for, you know, like, I just saw that there's a, a Jeff Koons BMW, Like another collab, BMW that's coming, right? So it's like that that whole like just like crazy, just let somebody do something insane on a car, gets people to pay attention and gets people to be like, whoa, what's this all about? You know? Yeah, it looks weird as hell compared to tradition and compared to like, okay, here's the three colors and here's our normal sponsors, but that's how that's how people remember things. You know? Like I think that's like a, a a missing piece of Formula One's kind of new space and new audience, right? Like you could definitely expand your viewership just with those types of things. Not to say that I want to see this, but you know, like let Cause or Futura do a car, right? You know, that oh, would bring God. in a whole new audience that's not used to watching
1: Formula One. Yeah, I mean not only that, right? What is prior to the last four years, what was everyone's perception of a Formula One fan? Euro, refined classy individual the more you get into the sport you realize yeah that's probably the prevailing subsection of it but there is a hint of trashiness there and if there's one thing we as America do well is trashy in various degrees so this would be the equivalent of having the sequins juicy on the back of America's backside so to speak but I'm here for it because like I said digicamo's digicamo I'm about that life we're all about that life make it happen Alfa Romero bring it on these colors don't run (laughs)
0: Uh, well, speaking of, let's 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 use that for the perfect transition, right? We now have rumors of the Andretti family fielding a team in 2024, pending approval. An American team at that, American drivers supposedly, and it's going to be
1: based in Italy. is that the 52nd state maybe uh, i'm because you know Pluto's no longer a planet maybe we took over italy i don't know so maybe we can get like the tricolor italy flag
0: colors you know how ducati does the tricolor bikes tricolor sorry uh we do that in in digicamo for the andretti
2: car in 2024 snow camo desert camo Forest camo, all digi camo. Yeah, yeah. The crazy part is
0: that Andretti's already do race a lot in American series, so there's plenty
1: of opportunity for them to, like, expand their Walmart audience. Their brand. I was going to say, I look at it this way, right? We've all kind of talked about how the writing might be on the wall, so to speak, for Hosts in terms of maybe no longer being a solely American company. At best, they're a hybrid. At worst, they belong to the Russian Empire. But I was kind of also reading up on this proposed and ready team. And what was interesting to me is, like Nick had mentioned, that they will be based out of Italy, but the team will also do some work out of Indiana with a separate facility in England to facilitate travel and development through a European-focused schedule. So they truly are embracing the we are the world, we are the people, Vibe. And I think that is going to be needed because the other thing is, what was the driver you had mentioned, Todd, that was affiliated with this uh, Colt? Uh, yeah, the
2: the early rumors, obviously everybody likes to throw out their ideas, but Colton Herter uh, won the uh, IndyCar series last year and has been rumored for the last year or so to maybe try out for a seat, get a test drive in a seat. Uh, he's a quick Quick kid. I think he's like 21, 22. Pretty sure he's from here in California. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it would be awesome to have an, an American driver back on the grid with a American slash Italian team boss and uh, Italian American English racing team.
1: Who was the last American driver on the grid? Because I'm sure as some of our newer fans are trying to get up on it, they would love to know some of the American-based history.
2: I'm going to have to look that up because it's, I believe it was in the 90s. I want to say, oh, sorry, just kidding. Alexander Rossi in 2015. Oh, forgot so forgot about him. Yeah, it hasn't been that long, but. Shout out to Alexander Rossi. He's uh,
0: he's uh, done pretty well in in uh, IndyCar, and uh, is actually from the Northern California area, up, up in the foothills here from
1: Sacramento. I wonder what his thoughts are on the Tyrese Halliburton trade. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Always sprinkle in the other sports. The other it's it's a gift and a curse if you think about it really, but. What would be the realistic expectations of a team? Because I think we haven't seen a brand new team come into the sport in a while. Like, is this going to be something along the lines of they'll be fortunate to even get one point? Is this going to be kind of a canary in the coal mine where they're just trying to see the feasibility of this with this last past, let's say, two to three years? What would your realistic expectations be tomorrow if you both got the confirmation that, yes, coming in 2023, we will have the Andretti America team?
2: I think based on – Nick just mentioned that they race in everything. They're in IndyCar. Uh, I was just watching the, the X-Pre or whatever you want to call it, that new racing series that's like environmentally focused and they use their all electric like desert tank things. I can't even – the MX cars. Um they have a team in the, the new x Prix thing. They're in, pretty sure, WEC. Uh, they race in every series. They're, they are a r- basically racing factory. They race in all types of disciplines. So I think if they make it in, I think that they will be – we could see them as a championship winning team in a, in a decade.
1: Wow. So the infrastructure the, is that good that it's almost like a plug and play until they get to that level of competency and then well
2: they they need to get into the series and they need to get development under control but I think they they have the name in Mario Andretti right. or the Andretti family they can bring the sponsorship in to get up to the cost cap and be able to develop just as just the same as the rest of the teams. I think they can get, you know, the investment for the infrastructure um and I think they could, you know, lure some drivers in with with the name and the, you know, the Americanization of F one as we're seeing it before our eyes. The the downside that I want to bring up, and I don't know if you guys read into, F one isn't really currently accepting applications, so to speak, for new teams. So there's kind of a large hurdle. I mean, Mario Andretti said like, oh, yeah, we filed the paperwork or whatever. But there's not actually like a classic like here's my resume. Hire me as a Formula One team uh, application process. So I think if anyone has a chance to bring be a new team on the grid, it would be Andretti Autosport. Um, th- there's been a, a few like a couple other teams that have been – Rumored around interest in Formula One. One of them was Compost Racing. Uh, They're a Formula Two team now, but they're kind of a lot of talk, no action. And there's one other name I was reading about that I can't remember right now that sounds like it's a bit of a snake oil promise as well. Is it Rich Energy North America? (laughs) (laughs) No, William Story is not going to be a new team principal, sadly. God, if he was on the grid, like as a team principal, Netflix would be just rolling in their money. Just They wouldn't know what to do now, with It's themselves. so funny
1: you mention that because I was doing the rewatch and the patch of episodes I got today was the Vijay Malia episodes. And my goodness, if there was a larger than life – parody of a villain like i know sometimes we like to give lance stroll's dad lawrence stroll the benefit of the doubt of okay you're the team principal or team owner most likely to be a bond villain in the professional sense in the vaguely comical almost absurdly incompetent sense vijay malia come on down and tell us how you're going to blow up the world as you tie us over a shark infested pit of lasers because my goodness that man knew how to play to the camera and unfortunately that seemed to be the only thing he knew how to do properly Allegedly, I'm not trying to get sued. Don't sue us.
2: <laughs> I, I I don't think he'll sue you. I'm pretty sure he's in like jail right now. I think he got extradited. I mean,
0: I think to Todd's point, right? Like the Andretti's racing career slash team ownership. You know, this was put out there by Mario as a thing that Michael Andretti would do, right? And. You know, I guess for people new that Mario Andretti has raced in damn near every form of racing that exists outside of motorcycles. Uh, he raced in Formula One. He won a Formula One championship in the '70s. He raced in NASCAR for a little bit. He raced for he raced for the Williams team at one point. Like. An odd thing, I think, and then like he's just an interesting character and story around racing in general. Um, but his son Michael is the person that would run the Formula One team, supposedly, from the way this is kind of shaping up right now. And I think to Todd's point, like I don't think that there's anybody. There's there's only a handful of people in racing as an as a whole. like all forms of it that could knock on anybody's door and say, we want to race in your, you know, series or whatever you want to call it. Right. But he's one of those people that I think everyone in any form of racing would, would at least have the conversation with. So, you know, it's not likely, but it's also like, you know if 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 you want to start a basketball league and Michael Jordan comes knocking to start a basketball league with you or own a team in your basketball league, you're like i don't even I don't even want to have a basketball league, but if you want to own a team in my league, I will create a league for you to race in or to for you to own the team in Michael you know and I think that's the same kind of thing that will happen with him like i i I don't know what that will look like, you know unfortunately, Haas probably won't be around unless there's some form of, su- of success in this next year or two. But, you know, it'd be nice to to see a couple of American teams to kind of like bring more people into the sport. But I will say that if Andretti brings the team to formula one, they will bring a huge, like your 30 million might be an under, like a, a very serious underestimated amount if, If he were to like, if that family were to bring a a Formula One team, because they just have a diehard fan base across so many different aspects of racing. And I think it's, it's generational too, you know, like he raced for 30 something years,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: his kids race, his, you know, there's so many Andrettis out there in racing in various places that, you know, just, Mm -hmm. it's one of those people that it's one of those families that you just want to be involved in your sport. If you're, if you're in the sport of racing.
1: No, and as and we were – yeah, go ahead, Todd. Oh, no, you you, you go right ahead. No, I was just going to say this. As you guys were chatting, I wanted to understand how could one get into Formula One and per this article, and granted it's only one article and maybe completely off base. They said there's a two hundred million one one-time fee to join the grid if the application is approved, which I think almost feels kind of too low because given the explosion of how many people want to own – some sort of sports team or sports club, I would imagine that may be the biggest catalyst for the grid expanding in, let's say, the next two decades. Because if it stays at that $200 million and grows intelligently, I think that is chump change for some of the truly World Elite, which is an absurd statement to say, but I'll say it nonetheless, but I'm really interested to see that if this would be a Domino, because if it is only 200 and you have that cachet of the Andretti name, then I think this will be the first of maybe five or six teams, because that seems a little too low in terms of that's all it takes to get on. Granted, I don't have 200 million in my spare couch. Todd, how about you? Do you have 200 million in your spare couch? Fresh out. Okay, fair Fresh enough, but what out. was the point before I... No, I mm-hmm. wanted
2: to just double down on Nick's point about what Mario Andretti and the Andretti family means like a ton of them have raced and a ton of them have been successful and it's like tracing back to his Mario Andretti's lineage and I just found a fun stat that I wanted to say he remains the only driver ever to win the Indy 500 the Daytona 500 and a Formula One World Championship so like he's (laughs) legit as they come and maybe like there might be like one or two or three families racing organizations that are so big that could just be like, yep, we're going to answer formula one and get taken seriously. And he's one of them. So I think he's got a great shot, but he needs to clear that hurdle of, um, you know, formula one's basically saying, or the FIA saying like, oh yeah, we're taking applications, but he's one of the few people that could get their attention.
0: Yeah. I think too, like the other part of it is, you know, it's not just a, an American fan base that F1 wants, right? Like that's a that's a huge piece of the that's a huge missing piece of the puzzle for you know Formula One success, right? Like absolutely. Uh, you know, we we know that there are tens of millions of people in America that don't watch Formula One but watch other racing. Like it's a safe bet, right? But also you know Mario Andretti raced for a bunch of you know sports cars like in Le Mans for years so like there's this high level of racing that exists you know for people that aren't familiar like you know Todd mentioned WEC right WEC is kind of this like sports car racing that happens the World Endurance Challenge is what it's short for and it's basically like you know, kind of the brands like Porsche and Audi and, uh, Cadillac is going to be in back in it this year and Bentley Mm -hmm. has raced there. And like, it's like this other world of racing that doesn't quite have the, you know, the, the grandiose Netflix deal that F1 has. Um, but the level of racing is, is equally as competitive and equally as impressive. If you, if you get into it, it's a little bit harder to follow because most of the races happen overseas. There's only typically, like, one race here in the States, which is Austin. Um, but, like, the 24-hour Le Mans is obviously one of the, you know, pinnacle races. Like, that's, I think, if you were to ask anybody that's a fan of racing, it's like, it's either that or Monaco, right? Those are the two races that are on everyone's bucket list to either go see or be a part of if they're if they're lucky enough to race for, you know, uh, a portion of their life. But he had a lot of success, too. I think, like, one at least one or two, maybe. And to me, that comparison is a little bit more interesting than the bringing Americans on board because you've already got people that are used to watching a very complex racing series. You know, WEC is, is, you know, stacked with a bunch of different levels of racing. So you've got the top tiered cars, the second tiered cars, and then you've got like traditional sports cars that look like the cars you see on the road. And like, because of that, you have a much broader audience of like, I'd say working class people that are like going to grind it out to just be able to get a little bit of extra seat time on the weekends, kind of compared to Formula One, where we've talked about the barrier to entry, not just as a team owner and $200 million, but the barrier entry, barrier of entry for someone in carts that doesn't absolutely destroy the competition is like well you you didn't destroy everyone at age 11 so probably not going to happen for you kid and i think (laughs) that's an interesting piece of the puzzle that's kind of missing sort of but like also like it would be so easy to get more people to cross over from that like you know sports car racing into formula one with someone like this who's had massive amounts of success traveled around the world you know, like the downside to kart, Indy, you know, NASCAR, all these things that are very, very American focused is they don't really go too far outside of the states in their races, right? It's like basically North America, occasionally South America, but not very far. And you know, WEC, sports car racing in general is, is a much, you know, world, much more worldwide form of racing that I think people could come in and understand the nuances of racing and the nuances of team ownership and the nuances of having drivers from different areas of the world, all those things. So to me, it's, I I mean, there's so many reasons why if I'm the FIA, I'm like, why, how could we ever say no to this?
2: Definitely. We are uh, running up against time here and we have some pretty large, other news to talk about. So, do you guys have any final thoughts on the Andretti thing? No,
1: I'm I'm ready for you to take sage on this because there's yeah, nobody better that can break the minutia of it.
2: Okay, so I think the best way to do this, because we have so much to talk about, I'm going to rattle off everything else that happened this week, and then we can pick a couple of points that pique your guys' interest to uh, to talk about. So, <clears throat> the aforementioned uh, heel, Mohammed bin Sulayam The new FIA president uh, came out and did an announcement this week, and there was four parts to it. Um, The first thing that they're doing and like implementing into Formula One is a virtual race control room with a thing called video assisted review, which Mm -hmm. they use in uh, football or soccer for the American folks. Um, It's become a big deal in the premiership in the last several years. um, They are removing direct radio communications from team principals to the race director. So no more Toto screaming, no, Michael, no.
1: I was going to say, if we can Um, get a drop of just him saying, Michael. And then counter that or compare that with Phil Jackson yelling Michael and that famous Allen yeah. Iverson quote. That'd be hilarious. But OK, go on.
2: Uh, the third thing he announced in the first announcement was that they were going to be basically announcing later their resolution to the unlapping cars under safety car conditions controversy that ended last season, which. b um, came out a few days later and it was that basically they pretty much said that the rules are the rules. So every car um, they they would have to announce at the end of the, la- or the last car that was getting unlapped, um, getting out of the way, that they would have to announce that the safety car was coming in at the end of the lap, um, which took a long time. To get all the unlapped cars around the track and back in the pack. Uh, So now all they're doing is after the last car has passed the safety car, they are going to announce at the end of the next lap that the safety car will be coming into the pits. That is the final rule. There's no way around that. I'm sure that they'll change their minds and probably red flag a race. And they probably should have red flagged the last race. But anyway, we don't need to debate that. Um, Lastly... Uh, and probably the biggest news, uh, Michael, the aforementioned Michael Massey, Michael, has, Michael. Michael, no, Michael, no, um, is been replaced. He's been fired. He's been whatever. He's be he's going to be offered another position within the FIA. But we have two new race directors that are going to alternate race weekends to try to give them a little bit more of a balanced workload. We know that we're going to have 23 races this year. Um, one of them is from uh, WEC that we just talked about, the World Endurance Championship. And the other one was from... Uh, oh God, another big racing series. DTM, DTM, That that's what it was. Uh, German, German Touring Cars. Um, th- they will be assisted by Herbie Blash, who was the deputy chief race director um previously so he will be a senior advisor to both of them during during race weekends uh a few days later an announcement came out that there was more penalty points so during the course of racing um if a driver hits another driver dangerous maneuvers, they go off track too many times. There's a million ways that people can get penalties. The penalties, depending on how egregious they are, come with penalty points. Before, if you got 12 penalty points, you were you got a one race ban. They came out with a new ruling that the drivers are going to be allowed more penalty points. I don't know if they've actually announced how many yet. Uh, moving on, there is no, this is the biggest shakeup for me this week uh, there's no more Q2 t- tire rule. Um, <clears throat> uh, they used to have to, whatever they qualified with in Q2 during qualifying, they had to start the race with that is no longer the case. They're free tire choice at the beginning of the race. Um, couple more, they have a new show and tell rule. So they have to have their car on display for the media and anyone else to see for an hour before first practice and 90 minutes after first practice. Okay. On a Friday, so basically any other team can go up to their car and inspect it. So it's supposedly gonna hike up the development and keep racing closer. And then lastly, not big of a deal, but I think it's cool to see uh, rookies must take or their junior drivers, whoever it is for the teams, must take uh, drive during free practice one at least twice during the year. So out of all the things I just said. Any of those things pique your interest? Nick, you got a smirk. Let's see what you got.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think the show and tell period before and after practice on Friday is really interesting. But I also think that it's just like, like this just adds to the games that will be played, right? Like you'll go out first practice, you know, you'll show some arbitrary setup slash whatever and, you know, if if I'm Mercedes, I go out there, you know, just OK, cool. Like, this is how it is. Red Bull comes and takes a look. And then the next day I'm, you know, back to back to my my normal antics. Right. But I think that's interesting. I, I think it's going to be funny to to see, like, like, will we be able to, like, spot the changes from a car from a Friday to Saturday because everybody's gonna be able if, if the public even has access to this anybody that's there reporting right you know you're gonna see images of this all over social media so you're gonna you're gonna be able to be like what like what's going on? what what oh wow that's way different you know but also like I can just see the like I I'm just visualizing Toto and and Christian Horner you know yep arguing over what was changed versus what wasn't versus... This is a different Pantone, versus. Christian. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just setting it up for, for Netflix again, basically, yeah, right?
1: Anything that increases the level of Patty, I think most of us are here for him because that's one of the secret delights. And yeah, Christian Horner is arguably the greatest housewife of insert your favorite city that never was because... He adds a little extra oomph when it comes to close rivals, and it's going to be really interesting to see him be in the position of the hunted as opposed to the hunter that he's been the last couple of years. I think for me, the Massey thing is probably what's going to get the most headlines just based on the fact that a lot of people think he's the reason why the race ended up the way that it did. And to Todd's point, we can't litigate that any further. It's done. It's been exhausted. And really, we're not that. But. Heads needed to roll for a lot of people, and that was the biggest head. And to me, it still says something if he's still within the FIA infrastructure that – Okay. Yeah. You lost your job, but you're still there. So it's going to be kind of the same as it always is anytime we see some sort of widespread rule change where it's fine up until the first moment it's needed. And then once again, it turns into a bend, don't break situation. I will say this, the thing that Todd mentioned that I'm most familiar with is the VAR and American soccer or global football. And that has a really interesting effect on the game because Now, anytime you see a guy or a girl score a goal, instead of – Basking in their exuberance and their jubilant nature of scoring a goal, their first reaction is to just kind of look around and be like, "Is this a goal? Is this there and that kind of robs some of the raw emotion of the game and I'm really interested to see what that does with f uh with f one because of the fact that we don't have that immediate satisfaction the same way we do when somebody scores a goal in soccer, but at the same time, this is going to be where the rubber meets the road in a sense because The first time they get it right, everybody's going to be happy. But the first time they get it wrong, that's where things are going to get petty and hectic once again. And people are going to be clamoring for more heads to roll. So it's only as good as its first mistake. And then once that first mistake is there, believe me, the gloves will be off all over the world. Because sports, much like everything else, becomes extremely tribal. And it's great if my guy wins, but it's even worse if my guy loses and loses based on a technicality. So we'll see how it goes.
2: I got a response for both of you. So first to Nick's point about the uh, the show and tell thing, I did leave a little bit of detail out there that they have to basically have a list of their parts and their setup that they are, have to present to FIA, FIA race official. So that says, you know, oh, they're, they're not going to be able to game the system. But F1 teams literally cheat. win like that's almost the history of f1 it's you know we saw it last year with mercedes getting all of a sudden late season this gigantic push of speed on the straights because they found a way to like collapse their rear suspension to stall the airflow to get a higher top speed on the straights they're going to game that system somehow they're going to like hide some bits you know, unlist some bits. However, it works out. But I can't wait to see that show. What that show and tell brings, and then I'm so glad, Rohit, that you brought up the uh, the Michael Massey thing because doesn't this have to feel a little bit sour for Max? The 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 FIA not only fired who basically everyone blamed for the season-ending controversy last year, but then changed or clarified. The safety car rule that screwed Lewis out of a championship. Max is over there thinking like, or you know, acting like he he won the world title. And granted, he deserved it. He was the better race car driver over the, over the season, but they were still level on points in that last race. And he won in that technicality that really just they had the FIA kind of admitted their fault by firing Massey. I think it was like everybody felt it was inevitable, but it just felt like it kind of sours Max's championship a little bit. And that's not a defensive Max, but it's got to it's got to suck for him a little bit. Totally.
0: And I think there's two things that I want to bring up. I I agree with that. And I think that the we're going to put a team together to review things is very much a like let's not have one person get their head chopped off for this next season approach which you know look i would not want to be race director like you're never gonna like that's got to be one of the most the only thing i could think of that would be more stressful would be like uh you know uh, flight controller at LAX or something, you know, like I just would not want to deal with all of the things that are being thrown at you throughout a race and after a race and, and how much the public just no matter what, you know, half of the public just absolutely hates you and despises you after every after every race to its to point. The other thing that I think we should clarify for people that aren't like diehard Formula One fans or even, you know, maybe newer Formula One fans. The level of like let's quote air quotes cheating right is so minimal that like last season you know lewis hamilton was disqualified from qualifying because of what was it like a two millimeter
1: i mean not only that
2: oh the gap in the rear
1: wing there's a gap
0: in the rear wing of like two millimeters or something like that and then there was this whole thing of, like, Max touched his wing afterwards. So, like, we had all this drama, which I'm sure we'll see in Drive to Survive this, this you know, next month. But, like, that is, like, the you're talking about, like, such a minimal amount of, like, as fans, you're not seeing that. But that's what goes on between every blink of an eye in this sport. Which makes it super exciting, but also it's like so crazy detail. And I can't remember the specifics, but I think, you know, like essentially like they were to your point, they were trying to get more speed. This was right around the time where they started to like pick up the speeds on the straightaway. And then it was like, oh, Max was looking at the rear wing and then Max touched the rear wing, which is against the rules. But then it was like Lewis was disqualified for the wing being two millimeters over or under spec or whatever that was. And, you know, it was like all these like things that were like you're penalizing Lewis. The perception by showing Max touching the wing makes it seem like Max was responsible for it. Lewis came out and was like, it's not Max's fault. He didn't like, you know, that wasn't the case. But the FIA, you know, fined Max and, you know, disqualified Lewis or, you know, for for qualifying that that day or whatever the day before. So that's how like also petty the actual racing rules are with these teams as well like it's it's like a three-sided monster right it's it's the com- the competitor on each side and the governing body that are like very very petty in all of these things yeah. and they have to be right like because the whole sport is about gaming the system and, and finding that advantage so yeah.
1: Everybody's the smartest guy in the room until they're the dumbest, and that's Formula One in a nutshell. I think one last thing, and this will probably be my last contribution. Todd, you brought up something that I never even thought of, which is this idea of max championship and having the asterisks. I can't say that I understand European or Asian sports culture as much as anybody, but I know one of the most prevailing topics, especially in the last decade, has been this concept and conversation around quote-unquote rings culture and how certain titles are vindicated or not vindicated given the circumstances of who was injured or who was not and who was suspended and who was not. I will say this. If the American fan base flocks to this sport as we think it does – Max Verstappen hasn't won a title then because we are very petty as a people and we are going to be the first ones to call out the fact that, nah, bruh, that didn't count. Your boy, Massey, got you the title. So just something interesting to see as well how Netflix shapes that narrative because for a lot of us that are getting up to speed with the sport, we're going to use Netflix as our initial point of reference until we have the actual 10,000 hours, so to speak, of watching racing, watching the quality, watching the actual race. So, yeah.
2: That's a great point. I think we could talk about the Houston Astros. We could talk about Bond's home run title. Exactly. We, We love an asterisk.
1: We love the concept of an asterisk because it allows us to talk about sports more than anything. And if there's one thing we as people love more than watching sports is talking about sports and how my guy is better than your guy. And once again, these goddamn barriers that were put up have proven to me that my guy is the right guy. So it's the best way of filibustering as well as campaigning for your person. So... Hell, half of the freaking
0: United States doesn't credit Kevin Durant with titles because he played for the Warriors. <laughs>
1: like, there you go. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, uh, super team. One,
2: yeah, per- one person I also wouldn't want uh, to be, to Nick's point, is the dude directing this season's Drive to Survive. How much of a walking on eggshells type of situation do you have to be? Because you have to please Formula One But you also need to sensationalize it because Drive to Survive is just just the Kardashianism of Formula One. It's got to be dramatic, but they also can't say like, oh, this dude screwed up and his title isn't real. Like it's oh, man, I I can't wait to see how they handle that. Uh, It'll be weird and very challenging to do because I don't know if you guys know, but Max doesn't partake in Drive to Survive. He has excluded himself from that. So they can't really tell that narrative from just Lewis's point of view. It's going to be super interesting on how they they really do that.
1: I know I said I was not going to talk, but I'm going to talk. So damn it, Todd. Uh, I will just say this. The last two seasons of Drive to Survive would have been the last monologues of every season. Lewis waxing poetic about his dominance and then also the fact that this is still a hashtag very white sport and we need to improve the diversity of it. If I'm Max, or more importantly, if I'm Red Bull PR, I tell Max, like, hey, you need to break this non-speaking thing because you need to be able to tell your story. Because as we all know, the victor gets to tell the spoils because victory is always going to control the narrative. If he doesn't do that and he allows Lewis, that platform, to rightfully rail against this conspiracy, and assuming Lewis does it, that's further going to drive the wedge, so to speak, that Lewis is the hero and Max is the villain in this. So... I mean, I think that's that—that's
0: exactly what I was thinking as as Todd was talking. I mean, by not speaking about these things, you know, you almost play into Netflix and F one's you know storyline of you being the villain, right? Because you just don't participate. The only people, that, the only. The only person I can think of that just said I'm not going to participate and didn't end up the villain is Kimmy Raikkonen. So until we see Max falling off of a yacht into the harbor in Monaco, uh, you know he he's got to figure out a way to like, to like, at least elevate his narrative somehow to be a part of it, right? Because it it's definitely a you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that we don't really. We don't look at those types of things in hindsight, historically, but at the same time, we really do, right? We we know, you know, let's say Michael Jordan, right? We know Michael Jordan played both sides of the card when it comes to, like, you know, where he's putting his money and speaking for people or speaking for the businesses or speaking for, you know, whomever. And, like, it used to not matter because nobody cared what these guys did off of the, you know off of the field or off of the, you know, racetrack. But now, I mean, we see all of it. Social media has changed all that. So you you want to see, like, how people are and who they are. So,
2: yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a great point. And, and it wouldn't matter if he was racing for P17 and was, like, you know, 16 years removed from his last championship like Kimmy was. But Kimmy was that caricature of a racing driver, for 20 years and and max is now a first-time world champion and i I mean i think he's trying to play it like he you know this was my championship i performed all season whatever happened in the last race it happened and that's that's true that's a part of racing it's he didn't do anything wrong but it's got to feel a little sour like i said Mm -hmm. yeah totally one final thought, uh, Rohit, give me two words on Otmar Safnauer, c- confirmed as Alpine team principal.
1: Did you? Can't, no, uh, I will just say this. <laughs> Stabilizing move Uh, Atmar How do you say his last name? Because I always butcher it
2: Atmar Safnauer
1: Safnauer Safnauer is boring In the best way imaginable Where he's not going to Get headlines the same way Christian Horner will But he is a coach In the mindset of I'm going to let my drivers Do the talking And if I need to be involved I will But I'm very hands off In the sense of I can't win the press conference, but I hope my drivers win the race because that is ultimately success for him. And per Netflix's drive to survive, he has one of the most amazing car collections that even the likes of Gunther Steiner are very envious of, because I think there was that famous bet of if my guy beats your guy, you have to let me drive one of your cars. And I think Alpine still, or sorry, Aston Martin still won. So I don't know what Gunther had to give up, but
2: (laughs) that's great. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, it, he's an Amer- American born, well, he's an American citizen, uh, very Midwest laid back vibes, like you said. He, um, I think, is a great stab- stabilizing presence, like Rohit said, on on the team, because the top structure of Alpine with their three-headed monster of, God, I can't even remember their names right now. Um, they They need that kind of stability there. And I think it's a huge win for Alpine. Nick, any thoughts Agreed. on Altmar? It, nothing more. Rohit said it, said it
0: perfectly, I think. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that'd be an interesting episode to potentially get into in the future is like talking about race directors and, or you know, team principal, all these kind of faces behind the drivers, you know, even, even on the, you know, the helmet Marco side, right? Like we, we've alluded to some of these characters that play big roles and show up in certain places, but we don't always see them. So I think we could, we could definitely do like a little, a little, uh, a tour of the teams, you know, faces, putting, putting names to faces and and talking about what they actually do. We'd just talk about
2: Christian Horner's wife. (laughs) Yeah. She's a spice girl, if you didn't know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and and Ferrari's uh, what is it, Mattia, Mattia,
2: Mattia Mattia Benato? Benato,
0: yeah. I, I, I think he's like one of the my one of my favorite characters, but not. There's nothing like exciting about him, but he's just like, he's just, I just, I don't know. He's just like an interesting like figure in this world of like super over the top macho, you know. Toto and and Christian Horner kind of
2: people. That's a great call. And his his Kramer-esque hairstyle is just, (laughs) I I, I don't understand it, but he just, he pulls it off somehow and he's like some weird mad scientist looking kind of quirky Italian dude. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be fun to talk about race directors.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, well, that's a pretty solid episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, make sure that you connect with Roa and Todd. Let them know how they can
1: connect with you guys outside of the podcast. I'm on Instagram at RoadM13, on Twitter at Roheasy. And right now, I'm trying to keep my baby from getting louder. So I will see you guys.
2: <laughs> at Teazy on Instagram. Nick, where where can they find you?
1: Uh,
0: at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. Make- Make sure you're following at ExhaustNotesFM and ExhaustNotes.FM for all the podcast episodes. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.